let me think. Okay, I know that story a little bit. We're gonna freestyle real quick. The Wizard of Oz. The characters are Dorothy with the shoes, right? Um, the Tin Man with no heart, right? The Lion who is really cowardice, right? There you go, good word, vocab. You can't spell it though. Um, uh, they're, what's, Scarecrow, right? The Scarecrow, what's his thing? No brain, wow, bummer. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, his nickname is Alex Bonetto, that's cool. Um, okay, so you've got that, and then you got the, you got the evil character, right? What's the evil, the wicked witch of the West? What about the one from the East Coast? Is she cool? Oh, the Wizard of Oz. Wait, dude, I don't, I don't know. That's why I said I'm freestyling up here. I didn't know that was, okay. So you got the Wizard of Oz. Okay, so Dorothy like ends up on this road, right? And then she's walking. I'm really trying, guys. If, if this is not right, just correct me, okay? Dorothy's walking on some road. She meets these people. She fights a, a, this wicked witch of the West. And then, then, is it the same thing? Guys, I don't know this story. But here's what I do know about every story, okay? You've got characters, right? There, there's always, yeah, there's always some excitement, right? There's some action going on. There's usually some resolution to the story, too. She, not always, though, that's true. Not always. In The Wizard of Oz, the, the girl goes back to, to Kansas. So that's not really resolution um, because Kansas is terrible. So is that, res- I don't think that's resolution. But you got all those crazy elements, right? And they're all, in basically every story, you can find some parts of that. Maybe if you can't find all parts of that, you can find most of those. Story, conflict, setting, all that in every story. Well, today, Jesus tells a story. And this story is meant to represent something that happens in real life. He's got characters. He's got conflict. He's got a setting. And also, he's got good guys and bad guys. So he's going to tell this story. And you might say, well, we've looked at a lot of stories in the Gospel of John. Well, the stories we've looked at in the Gospel of John have all been historical accounts of what actually happened. Now what Jesus is going to do is tell a parable. And we haven't really looked at any parables so far in the Gospel of John. But this first one that we're going to look at today in the, in the Gospel of John is so important because it's got all those elements. And what it actually is meaning to do, and what Jesus means by this, is to tell us a story about ourselves. That we are characters in this story. And he is a character in the story. And there's good guys, and there's bad guys, and there's conflict, and there's also resolution. And we want to see how we fit into this story. So grab your Bibles. Everybody grab a Bible. Turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and see that you are actually a part of this story that Jesus tells to this specific audience 2,000 years ago. Let's check this out. John chapter 10. Well, what comes before John chapter 10? You guys are geniuses. John chapter 9. That's right. In John chapter 9... We covered the entire chapter last week. It's one of those few times in, in this gospel where we recovered the whole story. The whole story happens where this guy is sitting by Jesus' pathway. Jesus is walking by. This guy is sitting there. He was born blind. So up until the time Jesus met him, he had never seen anything before. Jesus spits in the ground, takes the mud, shoves it in this guy's eyes. Remember that? It was weird and kind of gross. And then he had to go to the pool and wash all the dirt out because Jesus put all this dirt in this guy's eyes. And then he was able to see. And then he gets questioned by everybody. Everybody wants to know what happened, who did this. And he keeps telling the same thing. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And then the Pharisees talked to him. And then uh, we called him Jerry last week, right? Jerry got all sassy with the Pharisees and got himself kicked out of the synagogue, right? Because he was saying uh, it was Jesus, clearly. And he goes over the top to prove it. Then what happens? Jesus meets this guy. Jesus sees this guy after he got kicked out. And he says, hey, do you believe? And he says, well, b- believe in who? It's like, well, the son of man. It's like, well, I don't know who that is. And Jesus said, that's me. And he said, yes, because you're the one who healed me. I believe. And he trusted in Jesus. And then the Pharisees saw what was going on. And they asked Jesus the question, are we blind? Are we people who don't see? You just said you're making the people who see blind. Are we the blind people? Jesus then tells this story. That's the setting of this story. Let's check this out. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. So we got a little scene painted right here. We've got a sheepfold, which imagine like a petting zoo, but like a petting zoo outside your house. So here's how it worked back then. They'd have this 
usually like a community sheep fold where they'd, everyone would bring their sheep to this area that was kept outside of the people's houses, and someone would guard it overnight. That person in chapter or verse 3 is called the gatekeeper, someone who kept watch. This is saying if a person doesn't go in through the one entrance, which by the way, petting zoos, I've never seen a petting zoo with five exits. You know why? Because that's not a good idea. You have to guard five exits from getting, you know, little piglet and little goat from running away, right? So there's one entrance, one exit. And usually they have one person that kind of sits there and guards it because the sides of this sheep pen are protected. They're not maybe barbed wire back then, but they were something like that where they'd protect what was going on inside. They protected the sheep while the shepherds would usually sleep in a house or they'd sleep in a tent overnight. So that's all going on. That's the setting of the story. It says, but there are people that try to climb in. You can imagine this, that if you kept your sheep, your awesome little sheep in this sheep pen, if someone tried to climb in, over the gates, over the sides of this petting zoo, you'd say, that person is trying to take advantage of my sheep. They're stealing my sheep. They might steal them. What would they do with the sheep if they stole them? Maybe they'd sell them. Maybe they'd um, cut all their wool off and sell that. Maybe they'd kill the sheep so they could eat it. Or maybe they'd, they'd put that sheep in their fold. So there's people trying to steal these sheep. That's the setting here. Verse two says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So if a person comes to the door and talks to the gatekeeper, that's the shepherd. And it says in verse 3, the, sh the, the gatekeeper is the security guard who's kind of keeping these sheep in place overnight. It says, to him, the gatekeeper opens, the shepherd. And it says, and the sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, he says this interesting thing about leading them out. That's not the only way that you could shepherd. A lot of times, if you think of sheep today, especially in places like Australia or places, some places in America, not very many, what they'd often do is use dogs to kind of push them, right? If you can imagine, how would you get a bunch of sheep where you want to go? Well, there's two ways of doing it. You could go out in front of them and try to get them to, you know, follow you. Or you could push them with dogs or something like that to get them to go in certain places. It's called leading them or driving them. Jesus says that in this story, this shepherd does not drive the sheep. He draws the sheep. He leads the sheep. They follow this shepherd. That's the story. Okay. Now, the period that happens at the end of verse 5 is the end of the story. That was a story Jesus told. That's a parable. It's a story that Jesus tells that tries to give a spiritual truth. What happens with these parables, though, is people don't understand them. In the other gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see a lot of times Jesus would tell a parable, and the people just wouldn't get it. They wouldn't understand what he was saying. Now, verse 6 says the same exact thing. This figure of speech, which is the word parable, it's the same word that's used in the other gospels for the word parable. This parable, Jesus told and used with them, they did not understand. They didn't get it. They did not understand what he was really trying to say. So they understood that it was a story. They understood that it was just a parable. They weren't saying, oh, what, Jesus, why are you talking about sheep? You just healed this blind guy. Why are you talking about sheep? They know that it's a story. They know it's an illustration, but they didn't understand. Verse 7, Jesus starts to explain the story. And he explains this illustration by first saying, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So if you imagine this petting zoo, there's a gate or a little door, or a doorway. Just, that's me. I'm like the gate in this story. I'm the, the door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So apparently there's these people, the sheep that are inside, that are trying to be attacked by these outside forces, right? These people are trying to get at this sheep pen. It says, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. It says there's people amongst this sheep group sheep group. It's called a flock. Sorry. Um, among this flock, who the thieves and robbers, these people are trying to get in my sheepfold and trying to steal my people. It says, but the problem is they don't listen to these people. They don't listen to these false teachers or whoever he's talking about here. Verse 9 says, again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture is like a nice green grass area. If you think about Israel, you might not realize Israel is a lot like Southern California. And if you imagine Southern California 
where they have not built houses and put lawns in, what does Southern California look like? Does it look really nice and green or does it look pretty brown? Well, for most of the year, it looks pretty brown, right? There are times of the year when it looks nice and green, and that's exactly like in Israel. There were times of the year where it was all nice and green with, you know how um, on the side of the, the road, inside of the freeways sometimes, there's those hillsides that get really yellow with the flowers that bloom in the springtime, and they get all nice and green, then they get yellow, and then they get brown, right? The same thing happened back then. So what Jesus is saying is, in this story, if you come in by me, if you enter by my gate, if you go in and out, you'll find pasture. It's like you're a sheep, and it's like if you enter by me, you'll get exactly what you'll need. You'll get all your needs taken care of if you come by me. That's what he's trying to say here. He goes on to explain more. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, well, who are the thieves and robbers? Well, remember, who is Jesus talking to? Who's in the audience right now? What was the conversation he just had? Who's the last person he talked to? Talked to a Pharisee who asked him, are we blind? He's probably saying this in front of the Pharisees and in front of the, the good people, the, the sheep. Both are in view here. I think he's calling those Pharisees the thieves and robbers, the people who are trying to steal, kill, and destroy God's people, the flock, the people that God cares about. They're trying to come in and steal it. In contrast, and this is the point of this story. This is the very reason why Jesus told it. He says, they are leaders and they are really not the good leaders that you think they are. They're robbers and thieves. They just want to take advantage of you. But you know what I want to do? This is Jesus talking to people. And it's what he says to us today. What I want to do, Jesus says, is I want to be your shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now that's what he says next. He's telling this illustration. He said he's the door. He's also two characters in this story. He's also the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a, sh a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So you can imagine this scene, right? There's this group of sheep out on the road. The shepherd's leading them. But this shepherd is not the owner of the sheep. He's just someone that the shepherd hired for a day to kind of take care of them. If you've got a wolf and a lion and a bear and all these animals come and kind of circle this area where the sheep are, what do you think that shepherd is going to do if he doesn't really care about them? He's going to leave. And what happens if he leaves the sheep to those wolves or to those lions or those bears? They are either going to scatter or they're going to die. One of the two. So they're either going to get attacked by all these animals or they're going to run away if the shepherd's not there because the shepherd's not there to protect them. Jesus says, that's what's going on right now in my country. That's what he says. Jesus says right here in Israel, there are leaders who should be shepherds. They should be taking care of the people, but guess what they're doing? They're like a hired hand. They're running away. They don't even care about their people. Verse 11 says that. Verse 12 says the hired hand the one who's not a shepherd doesn't care. Verse 15, uh, 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But in contrast, guess what? I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have a knowledge that is a perfect knowledge of every person that belongs to me. Not only do I know their names, not only do I know their background and their biography or whatever, I know them personally, individually, down to the core. That's what Jesus says about his whole flock. He knows all that are in his flock. Verse 16 says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also. That's where you enter the story. Technically, you don't enter the story until verse 16. You don't really enter. I mean, clearly we talk about the shepherd and Jesus, that, that's important. But you enter in verse 16 when it says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Think about the time and place Jesus told this story. It was 2,000 years ago, right? It was in this little nation of Israel that God had blessed for thousands of years. This little nation. It's like, you're like a little flock. And I have people in this group of sheep that are my people, Jesus says. And I'm calling them one by one and they're following me. He says, you know what? I also have sheep that are not of this fold. They're from all over the world. 
and from all times and all places, just like here. We are included in verse 16 of the other sheep that Jesus is going to call. But here's the thing that's crazy about that. You might think, well, if we got all these different flocks, then really, I bet we have multiple flocks, hundreds of flocks. Look what it says Jesus is going to do with all the people that are his from all throughout the world. He says, they will be one flock and I will be their one shepherd because they listen to my voice. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my life of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. That's crazy. If a shepherd, imagine a shepherd who's caring for his sheep. If he takes care of his sheep, that's good. If he defends his sheep, that's good. But ultimately, if a lion came or a bear came and the shepherd was no match for the lion or bear, what would happen? Probably die fighting for his sheep, right? And what would happen to the sheep after? If the shepherd died, what would happen? Sheep would probably die too, right? If they wouldn't die, they'd at least scatter. Here's what Jesus says. I'm a unique shepherd in that when I die and lay down my life for the sheep, you know what will happen next? I won't stay dead. I'll take my life back up. He says, no one takes it from me. A lion can't, a wolf can't, no person can take my life from me. That's something that you can't say. That's something that I can't say, right? Someone could come and take your life, right? Someone could kill you if they wanted to. Kind of crazy, but that's true. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works with me. No one takes my life. I have to give my life in order to die. He says, no one takes it from me, but I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it back up. Now, that's the end of his explanation. He told the story in the first five verses. Verse six said they didn't understand. The next like 13 verses, Jesus tries to explain he's the door, he's the shepherd, they're the sheep, the religious leaders, they're the, the robbers and thieves. Now it says in verse 19 that after he explained what happened, guess what, guess what happens? They say there was a division among the people. It's like everything we've seen in the gospel of John. Every time Jesus says something super important, you'd think the people should say yes, we, we trust you. But here's what happens. Some do, others oppose him. They just get stronger in their belief or disbelief. There's no middle ground. They're divided. It says there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he's crazy. This guy's crazy. He's calling himself the shepherd. He's a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? But then another group of people asked this question. These are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I mean, this just happened. This blind man was just blind for his whole life. And now he opens his eyes. Is this really some crazy guy? I don't think so. Those are the two responses to this story. Just as every story we've told from the Gospel of John, there's two responses. Either you trust him or you say, I don't, I don't want to trust him. He must be crazy. Two stories or two responses to one story. Jesus tells this story about a shepherd and sheep to show us that we need a shepherd, that we live in a dangerous place, just like sheep live in a dangerous world because sheep aren't very smart. They're not very able. So that's what people are like too. We need a shepherd. And Jesus says, I am that shepherd. Now it's a very I simple idea, but we need to follow Jesus. If he's really the shepherd, we need to follow him. What does that look like? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what these four points are going to try to get us to see. What does it look like to follow Jesus? The first thing we need to write down. This is point number one. You need to at least see your need for a perfect leader. See your need for a perfect leader. Many people say, well, I'm independent. I don't, I don't need anybody to lead me. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. You might think that. That's not really a good way of thinking because it's not true. The idea here is that if you're a sheep, which sheep can be used singular or plural. So if you're an individual sheep, sheep are not very smart. It's like, oh, that's kind of insulting. I don't want to be a sheep now. They're not very smart. Uh, they're not very sophisticated. Have you ever seen those videos of like sheep following other sheep to doing dumb things? You ever seen that? So like if one of them jumps in the road, they all just kind of jump in the road. I'm like, what are you doing? You're jumping in the middle of the street. It's like, oh, we don't care. Um, there's other... This is a little bit more graphic, but there are stories of sheep walking off cliffs and falling like 100 feet. Oh, like, you know, you can you imagine like in England, there's all those cliffs that kind of lead to the ocean, that area. These sheep sometimes would 
one by one just go over, and then they'd be like, oh, that's sweet, and then they just all start diving. It's like, my whole flock is gone. <laughs> they all just jumped off a cliff. Um, they're not very smart. You might think, well, I'm not like a sheep. Well, I thought that yesterday, and then it turns out I, I was a sheep. I was at a lunch yesterday. You ever go to a, a restaurant with a lot of people, and they come around and they ask, oh, what do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? Oh, is water fine? Yeah, water's fine. So I, I'm looking around. Everybody's got water. I'm like, I'll just, yeah, just order water. And then some genius, some absolute genius at the end of the table says, I'll take a Shirley Temple. You guys know what Shirley Temples are? Those are awesome. I've, like, I always forget about it. It's like Cafe Rio. Like, it's, it's always there, but I forget about it. And then I remember, I'm like, that's awesome. I don't know why I always forget about it. Now that Cafe Rio is open, I won't forget about it. Not in the town center. But anyway, someone orders a Shirley Temple. And then the person next to them is like, oh, I'll take a Shirley Temple. So then they deliver two. And then the ne person next to them is like, yeah, you know what? I'll take a Shirley Temple too. That sounds good. And then I look to the right side of me, and I was having this conversation. I wasn't paying attention at all. Now there's a bunch of like cherry sprites everywhere. These, these sprites with like a little cherry. And I'm like, it's taking me back to my like days when I was seven or eight years old. At Flamingos, I would order, <laughs> you guys know Flamingos, that little, that little place? Yeah, hole in the wall, yeah. Um, I would order Shirley Temples there. It, was, it felt really cool. And I look, and everybody's got a Shirley Temple at yesterday's lunch. And I'm like, you know what? Waitress, give me a Shirley Temple. I'm all about this. And then I remembered, wow, uh, I am like a sheep. I just <laughs> followed everyone off the cliff. Well, although the Shirley Temple was pretty good. So um, it's just cherry Sprite. So if you go to a place and order a Shirley Temple, it's like, it's just... Sprite with cherry syrup in it. And they put a little cherry, which is kind of fun. But anyway, I was like, oh man, I forgot. I'm influenced by tons of people. I want you to ask that question. Who am I influenced by? You need a perfect leader because you are influenced. Think about it. Who's influencing me right now? Who are the people in my life? And you might not think, oh, it's not the people in my life. Maybe it's the, the, the movements or the things you want to be. Maybe it's like you want to be good at sports. You know what happens when you want to be good at sports is you start to pick leaders and role models, and guess what? You kind of want to be like them. You want to wear their shoes. You want to wear their jerseys. You want to have their number on your back. Ladies, you might find somebody on Instagram who does their makeup really well, and you're like, you know what? I want to contour like that. <laughs> Sorry, I tried. And all that's fine, whatever. It's not a huge deal, but here's the thing. We are all influenced by people, and sometimes for better and sometimes for worse, right? You know, 1 Corinthians 15, says, bad company corrupts good morals. Your friends that you choose are super important. Proverbs 13, 20 says that if you want to be wise, hang out with wise people. But if you want to suffer harm, if you want to have a bad life, you know what you should do? You should pick bad friends. And I wonder how many of us are being led like sheep by people who are leading us to a bad place. If you really thought, who's influencing my life right now? I bet you could find a lot of influences that aren't leading you towards Jesus. They're not leading you towards God's word. They're actually leading you the opposite way. They want you to say things that are inappropriate. They want you to join in on their crew joking. They want you to say the bad things they do or do the bad things they do. There's plenty of influences like that. Just like I'm vulnerable to ordering a Shirley Temple because I see all the people doing that. We're vulnerable too. And you need to identify, okay, in what ways am I being influenced? Now, after you do that, think about the offer that Jesus makes. He's the perfect one, totally good. And now he says, I'll be your leader if you want. I'll be your leader. If you'll submit to me, if you want to follow me, I will lead you for the rest of your life. Not begrudgingly, not like he doesn't want to. No, he wants to. That imagery of shepherd and sheep is not something that Jesus makes up here. Like some of the parables, he just straight up makes up, which are really cool. And we know a lot of those. A lot of other parables, though, play on the imagery from the Old Testament. They're basically retellings or adding color to a story that was told in the Old Testament in black and white. This is one of those. This is a lot of Old Testament roots. I want you to write this passage down. You don't need to turn there. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, we've got this prophecy from Ezekiel where he's talking to the nation and here's what he says. This is Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, this is God talking, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy against them. So apparently these shepherds in Israel were not doing their job. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, 
shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? What he's saying is in that nation at that time, the priests, the religious leaders, were they helping the people or were they helping themselves? They were not doing the job that God called them to do. They were helping themselves. They were feeding themselves. Later on in the passage, it says you've gotten fat off of all the food that was supposed to go to the sheep you've been taking back for yourself. And that's what was going on in Ezekiel's day. You know, that's also what was going on in Jesus's day too. The religious leaders that were supposed to be leading people to Jesus, the people who should have been like bringing Jesus on their stages and saying, this is the Messiah, the Pharisees, they should have done that. That was their role. They were the shepherds God gave to Israel at that time. Really, what they should have done is brought Jesus up on stage and said, hey, everybody, we just had a conversation. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. He fulfills the prophecy of the Old Testament. You guys all need to listen to them. And that's how it should have worked. And they should have been the pastors, the, the, the Pharisees, that first generation. They should have been the pastors of the early church. They should have been all that. But guess what? They weren't. And they didn't because they were shepherds who wanted to feed themselves. That was verse 1 and 2 of Ezekiel 34. Verses 15 and 16 say, this is God talking again, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. These shepherds have failed. I'll be the shepherd. Listen, and I myself will make them lie down. He's using the, the sheep illustration. You know, you can make your dog lie down really easily. A lot of the, the dogs that you have, maybe you'll train them and say, lie down and, and get up. And they're really smart, right? They've got these good brains that work really well and they're smart. And they lie down. And one of the reasons we think they lie down is because they're pretty tough animals, most of them at least. Your dog is pretty able to fight off predators. Maybe not like a little dog, you know. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I got one of those little dogs. It's got all the curly hair and stuff. Well, that dog is just like, just wimpy. So, sorry. But it's okay. It's why you want them to be wimpy. You don't want them to be strong if you've got a little tiny dog. But you imagine these dogs. They sit down and they, they stand up and they can sleep anywhere. It's because they're pretty strong animals that if they had somebody who was about to attack them, guess what they could start doing? They could use their big, loud voice and start barking, right? And if that didn't work, they could use their big, strong mouth and they could clamp on and, and you know, kill the little bunny that disrupts their sleep. You've maybe had this happen in your backyard before. Your dog can do that. You know, sheep have little tiny mouths. If you think of the, dog, the, the size of a dog's mouth compared to the size of a sheep's mouth, sheep have tiny little mouths. They can't do much. Think about their voice. If there's a big predator coming and a dog just, just starts barking like crazy, what does the sheep do? Like, just like nothing. That was pretty good, huh? I've been working on it all week. I was practicing for that moment right there. Just a tiny little sound, right? Little, you're like, oh, that's so cute, right? You know what predators think? Like, oh, that's so cute. I'm going to take this out. And boom, takes out the sheep. Your dog can lie down really easily. Sheep do not lie down very easily because they know that they're weak. They know that they're vulnerable. They rarely find a place that's safe enough to lie down for the night and sleep because they're always vulnerable unless they have a good shepherd. If a shepherd's there, they can make their anxiety calm down. They can make all their defense mechanisms to always be standing up. He can make them lie down. That's why when it says here, God says, I'll make them lie down. I'll finally protect them. I'll protect my people. It says also, verse 16, this is Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. These shepherds who've been taking everything for themselves, I'll destroy them. Then in verse 23, that passage, God is talking again. He says, I will set up over them one shepherd. So he said he's gonna be the shepherd. And then now he's saying, I'm gonna set up another shepherd who's gonna shepherd these people. Who's that shepherd gonna be? says, my servant, David. David, what are we talking about here in Ezekiel 34? I think this is looking forward to what Jesus is going to do. David had died 500 years before this. I don't think he's going to have David necessarily lead the people. Maybe, right? Maybe in the future, he'll be a part of Jesus's kingdom. But I think ultimately, this is looking forward to Jesus being the king, the shepherd. You know what David did, right? When he was a young boy, you know what he did? He's a shepherd. He had sheep. He defended the sheep. And then that whole idea became this Old Testament imagery of all the leaders of the people. They were supposed to be like shepherds, protecting the people of Israel, but they didn't. They didn't. And the Pharisees didn't. And that's what Jesus is coming along to say. The Pharisees, you've failed. 
You need a perfect leader. You need me to lead you. Now you might say, well, we talked about this flock and the sheep and Jesus calling them by name. Like, am I even one of the sheep that belong to Jesus? Because clearly in the story, do all the sheep belong to Jesus? No, they don't all belong to Jesus. He says, I'm the shepherd over a flock and I'm going to make this big flock. But you know what? I only call my sheep by name. You know, there's other sheep that I don't, I don't call. Even in this group. And imagine it like, go back to the scene of that, what's it called? A, um, I was going to say playpen, the, the animal pen, right? Imagine the sheepfold, the petting zoo. That's what I said, right? Go back to that scene. There's a lot of animals in there. Imagine a lot of sheep in there. Not all of them he calls out. Not all of them are, are his because some of them belong to others. Jesus says he calls his own by name and they come out individually and he leads them out. And then in verse seven, he says, I'm the door. I'm the access point for these sheep. What that's trying to tell us is this about salvation. The only way that you can have access to God is through Jesus. Just like if there's one door to get in and out, you only have one access point. One access point, and that's Jesus. He says, I'm like the door. Point number two is this. Join God's flock through Jesus. Join God's flock through Jesus. You only have one point of access. There's only one way to be saved. It's, that's it. Just one. Jesus. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said in John 14, 6, doesn't it? You guys might know that verse, famous verse. It says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to God except through me. You can't become a Christian without Jesus. That's kind of obvious. You can't become a Christian and follow Christ unless you follow Christ, right? You also can't be saved from your sin. You can't have all your guilt taken away unless you trust in Jesus. He's your only access point. A lot of people think that they can come to God or go to heaven one day maybe is what they think of by being a good person. You probably heard that before. I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. Right. Well, Jesus says that's not how it works. You might say, well, I'm a part of God's flock because I go to church. Right. Isn't the church kind of like the flock of God? Well, you know, not everyone in the church is in the church, right? Not everyone in the building is in the, the group that God calls. There's tons of people that go to church who aren't really a part of the church, that aren't really one of God's people because they're living for themselves, and they're not trusting Jesus. There's plenty of that. That's why Jesus even told stories uh, in the book of Matthew about how he's going to separate the people at the end like sheep and goats. It actually goes with our illustration here, right? It goes with what Jesus is saying. Some are my sheep and others are goats. He says, I'm going to separate them at the end. I'll let them live together for now, but in the end, I'll separate them. How do I know I'm one of God's sheep? Well, what's the whole gospel of John been saying? Every time this comes up, it comes up here in verse 9 and 10. He says, if anybody enters by me, he'll be saved. What does the rest of the gospel say all the time? What's the one word? Think about it. What's the one word that Jesus keeps saying? If you something in me, if you, if you think about it, what's that word? It's the word believe. If you believe in me. If you believe in me, that's the word Jesus uses and that's the word we have here. That word believe means faith. It means trust. If you trust in me, if you trust in me, if you trust in me, that's what he keeps driving at. That's what we've keep, kept driving at here. You gotta trust in Jesus. He's the way. He's the door. He's the only way. And also it's funny, he tells a story. He's not just one character, he's two. He's the door and he's the shepherd, which really can be seen as two in one, right? The shepherd is the access point, and he's also the leader. It says something interesting here that I just want you to take a minute and think of, and maybe a way you've never thought about it before. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd in verse 13, or verse 14, sorry. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. What does that mean for Jesus to know you and for you to know him? This is only referring to the people who are in his flock, right? Clearly, these are only the people that are trusting in Jesus that he knows like this. Because most people in our world don't know Jesus, right? So he's saying, the people that are my flock, I know them personally, and they know me personally. And those are the people in my flock. And that's why when he calls them out, they actually listen. You know, there's a lot of stories of this happening with you got a big group of sheep, and 
the shepherd using his voice or using some instrument or using something is able to distinguish among a big group of sheep who are his. Because when he makes that noise or uses his voice, guess what happens with his sheep? They leave the whole crowd and they start following him. That happens with sheep today. That happened with sheep 2,000 years ago too. They kind of operate the same way. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They don't follow these false teachers. They don't follow the Pharisees. They're going to follow me. He says, I know them personally, and I call them individually, one by one. When we talk about you needing a perfect leader and you joining God's flock, it's amazing. This is a huge truth that no other religion, no other book can make this claim, that the author knows you perfectly, that he knows you. Point number three is this, be comforted by Jesus who knows you personally. He knows you personally. What does that mean? And what difference does that make? First of all, when we think about him as the good shepherd and he leads us in life, does that mean he just knows what you look like? Your height, your weight, your hair color, your eye color? No, he knows that. But you know what else he knows? He knows all your thoughts. He knows all your sin. He knows all of your feelings. He knows all of the things that you don't like. He, all, he knows all of the joy that you have. He knows all of it perfectly. Now, if I said, I know everything about you, I got all the information on you, you'd probably be freaked out, wouldn't you? You'd be like, you're crazy. You have all the information. It's like a scary thing. You'd be like, ooh, Alexa's listening. They know all my conversations, right? You might say that, right? That's like a scary thing, right? Jesus says, the fact that I know everything about you is not a scary thing. You know what it is? It's a comforting thing. It's a good thing. Because if your friend, your best friend, or someone, your small group leader, somebody that you want to communicate with, you know what you spend a lot of time doing? Trying to pour out your heart to them and show them how you're feeling. And it takes time, and sometimes it's hard, and you can't always express your feelings perfectly. Here's the thing. Jesus says, I know that already perfectly. And I know how to lead you perfectly. He doesn't lead all of his people exactly the same way because he knows they're different. Just like shepherds don't lead all their sheep the exact same way, they're going in the same direction, but sometimes he has to do different things with them. Jesus says, I know my own. This passage probably makes you think of Psalm 23. So I want you to grab your Bible, turn back in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. Turn to the middle. It's that big book in the middle. Then turn to the left a couple pages. Psalm 23 is this passage about what it means for Jesus to be the shepherd. You might say, wait, why did you say Jesus is the shepherd? Remember what Jesus has been claiming this whole time? John chapter 8, he said, I am the I am from the Old Testament. Psalm 23, really famous words right here in the middle of your Bibles. Sometimes you hear these at funerals or sometimes you hear these from people at church or sometimes you just hear these from people who don't even go to church. They love to claim this verse but I don't even think they realize what it means. Verse one, this is Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, that means the I am. What has Jesus been claiming this whole time? That's me. Psalm 23, guess who that's about? Who's the Lord? I am, is what Jesus says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, which is not a good translation. I know it's an old translation. And the reason the ESV keeps it that way is because they want to be traditional and they're thinking, oh, I don't want to change Psalm 23. Everybody would say, oh, you're mixing with the Bible, right? Um, It's not that you don't want anything. That's not the point. What he means here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, means you you won't lack anything that you need. Sometimes we make wish lists, right? Of things we want. He's not saying I'll never have a desire. I'll never have something that I want. He's saying I won't lack anything that I really need. The Lord is my shepherd, I won't lack anything that I need. Does he makes me lie down in green pastures? Remember when we talked about that? How hard that is for sheep to do? They really need to be protected. It says also, he leads me beside still waters. He's doing something helpful for me. Now he kind of leaves the analogy and goes into the real life. Here's what he really does, actually. He restores my soul. What does that mean? When we're sad, when we need help, when we've sinned, and we repent, and we need to be forgiven. What does Jesus come alongside your heart and do? 
because he knows you perfect. What does he do? He restores it. Brings it back to full health. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. How does Jesus want you to live? And how is Jesus going to direct your life? He wants you to live righteously. He's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. How is he going to do that? Well, he's going to use other leaders in your life. The chief shepherd, as it says in 1 Peter, has under shepherds, teachers, leaders, people in your life who will shepherd you and point you towards Jesus. Those good influences we talked about at the beginning. Be led in paths of righteousness. For whose sake? For your own sake? So that you'll be happy? Ultimately, the shepherd does this for his sake. That's what's so amazing. That's why God cares so much about all of us because his flock, it matters to him. For his sake, he does it. You might say, well, that sounds really nice and flowery. I've never heard John be so, um, the word we used before, cute, right? That was really cute, right? That was really nice. Well, verse four says, what about when times are hard? What about when it doesn't seem easy? Well, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, imagine walking through a dark alley, downtown LA maybe, dark alley. You got people on all sides want to steal from you, take from you. You've got things, you've got a phone in your pocket, you've got a wallet with money in it, and people want to take stuff from you. You're walking through this valley. You're probably pretty scared if you're walking by yourself. I'd say never even be in that situation, right? But what if you had to walk through that valley? You had to get through, and people all around, scary. You know, I imagine the people on the side of the road kind of like hitting stuff together and being angry and mean and looking at you, glaring down their nose at you, knowing that you're like a little sheep and they're strong and they could take whatever they want from you. Imagine that. Well, because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's pretty dumb. If you walk through a, an alley with all these people who want to take you out and be like, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. You'd be like, that's kind of dumb, right? You probably should be afraid. Why is he not afraid? Because you are with me. Now back to that scene, walking through that alley. It's a lot different if you've got someone really big and strong who happens to be your friend, who will protect you with his life. Totally different scene. You can walk and you, although it's scary, you don't have to be scared because you're walking with this person who's strong and powerful. It says, that's my shepherd, Jesus. He goes through life with me. He says, your rod and your staff, that's two different sticks, says, they comfort me. The rod is the little tiny stick and a staff is this big long stick. What they'd oftentimes use is this big staff to like hit the bears and the wolves away. It's this long stick. They'd smack these animals that were trying to take out the sheep. But you know what they did with the rod? On the other hand, it's this little tiny club. They'd guide the sheep. Sometimes they'd smack them on the nose. Because remember, sheep are dumb. So, sorry. And that's the thing. Even we, if we think about sheep, we oftentimes, God wants to lead us in his particular way. He wants us to obey our parents. He wants us to have righteous friends. He wants us to say good words. He wants us to be an encourager. And he has this path for us. But sometimes what do we want to do? We want to get out of line, right? We want to do our own thing. What does he have to do? He has to smack us back with that little rod. And that's good. He protects us from the outside and he's guiding us from the inside. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Verse number five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You give me so much good stuff. And you anoint my head with oil, which sounds gross to me. That sounds gross if someone poured oil on my head. But that was a good thing back then. It's like cologne or perfume or whatever. And my cup, the thing that holds what I've got in my life, what does it do? It overflows. He gives me more than what I need. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It will chase after me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds like really nice flowery language, but guess what? For every real Christian, that is the truth of your life even now. It might feel like more like verse four than verse six, but still, if the Lord is your shepherd, He's protecting you. He's providing for you. And Jesus says, I will be your shepherd. Be comforted. He knows you personally. He knows everything about you. He knows all your anxiety. He knows all your worry. He knows all of your anger. He knows all of your sin even. He knows all of it. He wants to guide you. Does that mean he's okay with the anxiety, worry, sin? It, no, it doesn't, in fact. He'll use his rod to correct you. But he's also protecting you with that staff. Back in our passage, John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says, not only... Is he the shepherd who knows them personally? It says, also, I'm the shepherd who sacrifices. I will lay down my life for you. Which sounds like a nice thing, and maybe your, your parents would do that for you. They'd lay down their life for you. But Jesus says, not only am I willing to, that's what I'm actually going to do. I will die for you. But also, I'm not going to stay dead. 
I will continue to protect you because I'll take my life back up again. It's funny that here in John chapter 10, we see Jesus promising to be able to raise himself from the dead. And that's kind of like one of those things that if you hear, you're like, well, good for you. Good for you. I'm glad you can raise yourself from the dead. Guess what? I can't do that. It's like when people say, oh, do, do, do you like, I heard the PS5 came out. I don't know if that's true. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, be like if someone's like, dude, the PS5, I got it. It's so cool. You guys know the PS5? It's so awesome. You'd love it. You'd totally love it. You to- I've been playing. I love it. I love my PS5. It's so cool. You'd be like, stop talking about that. That's not cool. Where's my PS5? Right? I want a PS5. Here's what Jesus does. He doesn't just say, hey, I have this awesome superpower to be able to take my life back up again. You know what happens in John chapter 11 when a person dies? He says, I am the resurrection and life, and anyone who believes in me, I'll raise them from the dead too. So not only is he our shepherd in this life, guess what he's also going to be? Our shepherd forever because he'll raise us from the dead if we're people who trust in him. Point number four, I want you to write this down. Depend on Jesus. Depend on Jesus to defeat death and give life. He says, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one has the authority to take it from me. I give it away and then I'll take it back up again one day. You know, there's another passage in the Old Testament that should remind us of this point right here that talks about sheep. And this is maybe a a scarier passage. We talked about Psalm 23. That's a helpful, nice passage about sheep and shepherds. We talked about Ezekiel 34 with those evil shepherds that weren't protecting their flock. There's another passage that talks about sheep and shepherds that Isaiah 53. It's where Jesus is said to be like a sheep, but not before something else happens. Here's what it says in Isaiah 53, verse number six. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it's like this. It's like you've got these sheep that all go their own way. And he says, that's what we are like, people. We're like sheep that go our own way. And guess what has to happen because we went on our own way? Jesus has to take our sin on him. It's that passage that says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now verse seven's funny. Because right after that, after it says we are like sheep, you know what it says Jesus became? A sheep. He became like one of us. It says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shear is, is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Now Jesus becomes like a sheep and he dies in our place. That's what it means for him to lay down his life for us and take it back up. That's why the command in John, in the gospel of John, and the command we keep telling you, you have to believe. What does that mean? Agree that it happened? Just Agree that Jesus existed? No, that's not it at all. I mean, that's important. You got to understand that, but that's only the beginning. You have to not only believe that Jesus is real, not only that Jesus did all of this as historical fact, but also that he did it for you and trust with your whole heart that he paid for your sin. When it says Jesus is our shepherd, I don't want you to think about Carl. You know who Carl is? Remember the movie Up? Carl? The dude with literally a cube as a face, right? Have you noticed that? His face is literally a square. Like, it's just not possible. You know those uh, cartoons where you got the square face and then you see their toes and their toes are literally all the same length? Their foot, like, it's just a whole square. Like a Lego. Or like Minecraft, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what this dude looks like. Which I don't know if that's supposed to mean he's heavy, but I don't really think so. He doesn't have much fat. He's just like square. Maybe it reflects his personality. I don't know. He's a square. You know Carl? He was not happy. You know who tried to hang out with Carl? Remember, remember that kid's name? Russell. Russell. A little, little chub scout, you know? Little, I looked it up. He's supposed to be eight or nine years old. Yeah, you like that word, right? Um, he's supposed to be eight or nine years old. I was thinking, what is an eight year or nine year old like? Yeah, they're a little bit annoying. <laughs> you guys have any siblings that are eight or nine years old who always want to like follow you and like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, hey, can I do that with you? He's like, dude, stop. Leave me alone, man. So maybe you feel like Carl with your younger siblings. Carl, he did not want to lead Russell. Russell wanted to tag along. And it's not till like the end of the movie that Carl with the square head finally becomes like, 
Ready for this? He has a square heart, and it becomes a real heart. Aw. Um, I don't know. Just made that up. It's really cute. Carl was not about leading Russell. And sometimes when we think of Jesus or, or God leading us, we think he's like distant. He, he just, he's like Carl. He doesn't want to lead us. He, he's got all this other stuff to do. He's got all these other people he's leading. Like he doesn't have time for me. So that's the amazing thing here. Jesus offers himself as the good shepherd. He's a willing shepherd. He wants to lead you. We said that earlier, but I don't want you to think of Jesus like you think of Carl. For one, because his head is probably not a square, but also because he doesn't have an unwilling heart when it comes to leading you. He wants to lead you. You got to think about Jesus as a willing leader, a willing shepherd. He wants to lead you. Our problem is oftentimes we don't want to follow. If we learn anything from this story Jesus tells about sheep and shepherds and all of this, we need to understand that Jesus says we're like sheep, we're influenceable, we're not always the smartest, we make dumb decisions, sometimes we follow our friends off of cliffs sometimes. But he promises that if you trust in him, he'll be your shepherd and you can follow him for the rest of your life. And also, he can solve your biggest problem. You know, when it says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack any good thing. You know the good thing that we all need? We need eternal life. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna meet our end. That's our biggest problem. Jesus solves that. He's our good shepherd. So let's be comforted in that. Let's talk to him right now. Jesus, thank you so much for promising yourself as the good shepherd. You make it so clear we can trust in you with our whole heart and that you'll save us. We understand that this is something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve a perfect leader. We deserve an evil leader. We deserve, because we are sheep who've gone astray, we deserve to be taken over by those thieves and robbers like you told in that story. But we're just thankful that you promised to lead us for our whole life if we trust you. I just pray that some of these students, as they think about their, their faith or their belief in you, I know that some of them do believe in you. Some of them do trust you with their whole heart. I pray that these truths would be a comfort to them, that they know you are a good shepherd and you know them personally. You know them individually. You care so much for them when you laid down your life for them. Pray that they'd see that and understand and that we'd all take comfort in that. I pray for those who also are not a part of your flock. Pray that you'd call them and they'd call out to you. Pray that you'd call them and draw them and open their eyes, just like you opened those eyes of that blind guy 2,000 years ago. Pray that you continue to show us the truth and that you lead us. We know you're the good shepherd, so we trust you and we're gonna follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. See you later.